This is the Mathematics Education Podcast from MathEdPodcast.com. Welcome to the Math Ed Podcast. My name is Sam Otten from the University of Missouri, and today I am joined by Muteb Al-Katani, who is from the School of Education at State University of New York at Cortland. Muteb, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Sam. We're going to be talking about Muteb's article in the Journal of Mathematical Behavior, Volume 48. The article is entitled, Mediational Activities in a Dynamic Geometry Environment and Teacher's Specialized Content Knowledge. So we get to dig into some dynamic geometry, some technology, and some teacher knowledge. So I'm really looking forward to that. But first, Muteb, this came from your dissertation work. So where was it that you were doing your graduate studies, and with whom did you work? I, uh, I did my PhD work at uh, Rutgers University in uh, New Brunswick, and I worked with uh, Dr. Arthur Powell. Okay, great. And he's a co-author on this paper as well. Uh, yes, he is. So your interest really centers on dynamic geometry software, and I'm wondering when did you first get interested in it? Is it from even before you were in grad school, or did something happen in grad school? When did you really get interested in the, these new tools that we have in geometry? Oh, well, in general, I've, I've been always interested in technology. I, I worked with 3D software, created some models, did some programming, created some uh, websites, uh, and did so many other things, but I've never thought about dynamic geometry. I've never experimented with it until I joined the PhD uh, program. And I was actually was not working with Arthur Powell at the beginning. I was working with uh, Dr. Colin Maher. And we were working with some students and trying to understand their mathematical discourse and trying to get insight into their learning. Until one, uh, one semester, Arthur Powell came and presented to us in, uh, in the school of graduate school, in the graduate school of education about dynamic geometry and how he's combining the tool with math discourse, trying to understand how learners talk about mathematics, but also do some actions in dynamic geometry. So this will give us another level of, of insight into their into their thinking. And I, from that moment, I uh, asked him if I can do a course with him, and I did that course, and from, from that semester, I switched completely, and I started working with, with him. And it was about five years ago. Mm. And so eventually that led to your dissertation, and the di- dissertation led to this article in JMB. So uh, help us understand, what was the goal of this particular article? What were you really trying to dig into and figure out? Well, this article was focused uh, mainly on, on the mediation of roles uh, of dynamic geometry. Well, we've done some work trying to understand how teachers and learners in general appropriate the tool and use it as a, as a way of thinking about mathematics. And after that work, people already established that relationship with this tool. Now, how are they going to use it? So our goal here is to see, okay, now they are comfortable with the tool, they know how to use it, they know it's, it's different functions. Now, how are they going to apply all these tools into their problem solving? So the goal here is just to see these types of, of mediations and also try to understand which, which mediation is closely related to teachers' mathematical knowledge. And we specifically focused on the specialized content knowledge and, and Deborah Ball's uh, system or categories or theory since we, we felt that that's the most important aspect of teachers' mathematical knowledge. It's the specialized, specialized content knowledge. Mm-hmm. So I want to back up for a second. You were mentioning mediation, and I know this is a key term in your article. So I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about how you think about that concept of mediation. 
Of course. So mediation, mediations are, are just things around us, uh, whether they're physical or, or non-physical, or we can call them psychological things that we use, that usually influence how we think and act. So when we face any problem or when we have a desire to do anything, we usually rely on the things that we are familiar with, something we are accustomed to around us. And somehow subconsciously, we use these things to think about our problem that we're facing or the things we want to do. It's all, all these, these ideas are, are came from Vygotsky's idea about tools and signs in, in, in human development. He, he used that Marx, Marx idea of historical materialism about how materials significantly impact human development. The tools that humans produced relate closely to, to, their, to their development. Vygotsky is adding the second level, which is not only tools, not only materialistic tools or physical tools, but also signs like language or symbols and ways of thinking that also impact or influence our, our way of thinking. So we're using that idea in, in, in our research as, okay, dynamic geometry is another tool that exists around us. At the beginning, we're not aware of that tool, how we didn't know how to use it. So we're trying to learn and, and have that tool as part of us, part of how we think. And when it's become part of us, now we think with it. Now it's become a, a mediational tool for our actions. Mm-hmm. So with that idea, then we're looking at this dynamic geometry, and then the mediation is to then the teacher's specialized content knowledge. So I think we're together here on the goal of the study overall. So I'm wondering some of the details. So what was the setting of the study? And then what kind of data did you look at to be able to conduct your analysis? This study was uh, part of a larger study that was done um, in collaboration between Rutgers University and Drexel University back then. This was usually with the math forum at Drexel. Uh, now the math forum moved to NCTM, and I think now they're finding a new place. Mm-hmm. The, the big project focuses on a tool called Virtual Math Teams with GeoGebra. And that tool brings dynamic geometry, but also allows uh, users to interact synchronously at the same time and chat about what they do in dynamic geometry. So it's one working space in the dynamic geometry uh, the group of, of users will see what happens at the same time and can chat about it uh, to each other. So this study took 13 teachers, uh, middle and high school math teachers, and they signed up for a, an online course at Rutgers University, and they're mostly from New Jersey. And they worked for 15 weeks to solve about 65 uh, dynamic geometry tasks. About 80% of these tasks were done collaboratively and the others were done individually. So the teachers met twice a week for two hours each time, and they worked on a a set of tasks that we designed carefully for about four years, kept revising and and improving. And we tried to help them at the beginning to some sort of appropriate the tool and try to be comfortable with it and understand different types of of tools and functions in, in the dynamic geometry and how to have access to these tools. Then we moved to asking them about mathematical objects and trying to have them create some some proofs and discuss some ideas and do some construction. So 13 teachers all worked on 65 tasks. There were a lot of things happening in, in their sessions and their chat. We only focused on the discourse that involves, we call mathematical discourse, any moments that involve talking about mathematical objects or mathematical um, relations. Mm-hmm. And those are the moments that we looked at to see, okay, let's see what happens here and how the teachers are using the tool and collaborating together to solve the problem they're they're facing. And just to clarify, are you also looking at 
their actual GeoGebra manipulations, or are you just looking at how they chatted or how they talked about those manipulations? Exactly, both. Okay. We're looking at how they interact, choose the tools, what what do they do with the tools, or what is their construction. And we have the VMT with G, the virtual math teams, uh, records the session completely as, as a video file. So you can see exactly what's happening through the whole session. So we're, we're keeping an eye on what's happening in the GeoGebra panel, at the same time looking at what they say about it. So you can see some like moments of silence, but actually someone is doing some construction, everyone is observing, mm -hmm. trying to think about it, then they, they can share the ideas uh, moments after. Yeah, it's really cool with these new forms of data and new tools that we have to just collect data that was never really possible in the past. And so it's cool to see these analyses of teachers collaborating at distance and virtually online and stuff. And now you can actually replay it and see everything again. It's, it's just exciting the new kinds of analyses that are possible these days. It is, and it's very rich of data. Like, really, we, we it was a new thing that we were were facing, and we're trying to okay, let's for now focus on this part. We could have done a lot of work on the collaboration aspect. We could have done a lot of work on uh, the systematic choices of tools that they use, and we restricted even the dynamic geometry panel to very limited tools because there are there are a lot of functions and in, in, in GeoGebra, the one we we, we have. But to guide their discourse in a meaningful way, we try to limit the tools available to them to certain things that we think will be useful at the, at the moment of, uh, at, at certain parts of the semester. Mm -hmm. And so with all that data, um, what was kind of the perspective that you brought for your analysis to be able to boil it down into some of the findings that we'll talk about in a moment? The data was very rich and a lot of uh, chat and a lot of video um, recordings. I, I chose one semester, even though I had like four years of data, I used one one semester and looked at this specific group of teachers who somehow were more expressive when they talk and their actions, they also like have some established collaborative norms where they share with others what they do with the dynamic geometry before doing it. So that helped me know what their intentions were. Mm -hmm. I, I built on something we've done in the past where we looked at what tools they use and how they improve using the, those tools and shift their concern from understanding how tools work to how can I use the tools to solve this, uh -huh. this mathematical problem we have. Mm -hmm. And from that, uh, having that understanding allowed us to really narrow which parts of the data we should focus on now. Whenever there's a mathematical discourse, like there is a mathematical object involved in the discussion, a mathematical uh, relations among these objects, these mathematical objects, now we have to focus clearly on their actions and their discourse and try to relate things together and see how how the tool is really shaping their thinking and how it's mediating their, their interactions. I'm speaking with Muteb Al-Khatani, who's an assistant professor at State University of New York at Cortland. And so the article in JMB describes three different types of mediational roles that GeoGebra played with the virtual math teams. So I encourage people to go find the article and get the, the full detail of these different types. But I was wondering if you could give us a preview of those different mediational roles. Absolutely. So we started analyzing the data using uh, Rapadel's uh, mediation mediational roles uh, or categories that he um, uh, listed in his instrumental genesis idea. He talked about how users usually after appropriating a tool it becomes an instrument and it becomes part of their ways of thinking and part of how they solve their problems and they use the tools or the instrument now the artifacts becomes an instrument and they use this instrument in two mediational uh, ways one is epistemic and the other is pragmatic the epistemic mediation 
focuses only on the object that you're you're doing the actions upon. Uh, for example, let's say my tool is is some sort of a hammer or, or a saw, and I'm, I'm doing some woodworking. At an epistemic mediation, will not be focused on the on the hammer itself or the or the saw. It will be focused on the object, on the wood itself. I'm trying to understand the properties of this object, trying to learn more about it, trying to see how how soft, what what types of grain does it have, like what color and how can it react to the tools I'm using. So. The focus here is is on the object itself and trying to understand the objects in, in a deeper way. Mm-hmm. And the second mediation is the pragmatic. And the pragmatic mediation is concerned with how can we use the tool to just arrive at the desired final result we want from this object. I'm hammering something on this piece of wood just to attach this piece to this piece. I'm cutting this board to be with this exact length. That's that's my goal. Therefore the action itself is focused only on accomplishing that goal. So it's not really concerned a lot with, with the object itself, with the wood piece itself. Mm-hmm. And while analyzing the data, trying to see how the teachers are using dynamic geometry to either arrive at the desired solution that we pose in, in our problems, which uh, Rabadell calls pragmatic use, and we analyze the moments where they stop a little bit and focus on the mathematical objects and understand, okay, why is this triangle acting this way? Why is this line segment congruent to the other one? Or, or focusing on the object themselves, trying to find their properties and relationships and see why they behave in a certain way. While analyzing data for these two types of mediations, we found out there are other instances where teachers are using the tool, but not in those two ways. We found that they also use the tools, the dynamic geometry, to help others see either the object's properties or help others see how can they really transform the objects into some desired form. Mm. So so they already established that understanding of, okay, I know how to use the tool epistemically, and I have that, that understanding of the object. Uh, I know how to transform this object into a desired form. So I have no actual need of using the tool again, but now the need is different and the goal is different. Mm-hmm. It's the, my goal is to help my peers in the group to see what I saw moment before them. So, and we call this types of mediation, pedagogic mediation, mm-hmm. where it's your, your use of the tool is not really directed to yourself, but to others. You are careful of what you use, what you, how you color the objects, how you move them, how you drag them, how slow, how fast. So hoping that others will gain that kind of understanding that you have at some point. Mm-hmm. And that third type of mediation does seem very specific to teachers. And so that brings us then to this idea of teachers having um, mathematical knowledge for teaching or having specialized content knowledge as a subset of that. So how did you see those different re- mediational roles, um, including the last one, which seems very teacher-hearted or teacher-spirited? Mm-hmm. How did those relate to the teacher's professional knowledge? Well, exactly. I mean, they're they're all uh, important, and uh, as you said, the last one is close to teachers. But I just want to mention that it also exists in our daily uh, life. If if you you can observe children playing with, with new tools, and you can see them at the beginning trying to understand the tool itself, when they find out how to play with it, then they'll start maybe start sharing with with others. And when they share with others, they will change the way you they play with the tool that to to, to help others understand how to play with this kind of toy. And, and to us, the same, that's, again, the mediational, uh, pedagogic mediation. When your use of the tool is not really to play with it, not to change any objects, mm-hmm. but to help others see 
how this can be used. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's directed to teachers and clearly can be seen with teachers, but it also exists in, in everyday uh, in everyday behavior. Well, we see these mediation was very important. Uh, we, we found out that when teachers are, are engaged in the epistemic mediation, they're really engaging their specialized knowledge. Uh, their specialized knowledge is about how these mathematical objects and these mathematical relations exist in certain ways. And when they use the tool to highlight these ways, we thought these this is the moment where they're really doing some mathematical learning that can be useful for them when they when they teach mathematics. Uh, the goal of this, when we see someone, when we see students doing some mathematical problem solving, using certain tools, we need to be attentive to, are they using these tools in a pragmatic way, just concerned with arriving at a certain solution or desired form that they can present to the teachers and get a grade for it? Or at some point in their, in their solutions or their activity, they can pause and reflect on why things the way they are. Why am I able to do this or, or that and not the other? These moments of epistemic mediations, we think pushes the mathematical knowledge forward. And specifically for teachers, when it comes to the pedagogic mediation, we believe it's, it's very important to have teachers aware of their own actions when they're trying to help others become aware of the tool or the object that they're working with. You can have teachers use dynamic geometry. You can have teachers use any manipulatives and they can start working with it in them, themselves. They can demonstrate, they can show students how, how things can be done. But when they become aware of certain actions and know exactly if I do this specific action, I, am, uh, I will be helping students really see certain connections compared to doing different actions that might confuse or stifle students from seeing what I'm trying to help them see. So these are all very interesting ideas, and you're talking about how they relate to even more general ideas about um, teachers and teacher knowledge. But I'm just curious about you personally. What are the next steps that you want to take, or what are the questions that are still on your mind going forward? Well, going forward, I'm, I'm really interested in, in seeing, um, specifically with this pedagogic mediation, I want to see, are we going to see this mediation uh, occurring when teachers are using different tools? Hmm. And how is it going to look like? I want to see it when teachers are working with students directly, not not when they're solving problems for themselves or work with other teachers. I want to see it with, with students. And also, I'm wondering how it would, would look like when they're working with students using some sort of manipulatives or physical objects in front of them. Mm -hmm. Also, another idea I had is like, how can, how can I categorize the types of actions that someone can take that can systematically can help us judge or say that, okay, if you act in a certain way, then you are mostly involved in those types of mediation. If your actions are focused on this part of, of the activity or this part or this part, and having clear categories of types of actions that can fall into the epistemic or pragmatic or pedagogic mediation, I think that will give us a very nice systematic way of analyzing certain instructional actions using any other any, any tool that we have with us. And I'm thinking maybe I can start with dynamic geometry because it allowed me to really see these actions clearly, then I can take that and see if it's applicable to other situations. Mm -hmm. Well, very interesting. We'll look forward to that work in the future, but thanks so much, Muteb, for being here and talking about this current article, which is available in the Journal of Mathematical Behavior. 
And before I let you go, I always like to close with a final question that's kind of on a personal side of things. And this is um, inspired by my friend Aaron Brackenecki way back in grad school. I've stolen this question from him and I've just run with it. But I'll ask you, if you weren't in mathematics education, what can you imagine as an alternative career for yourself? Oh, I, uh, that's, that's interesting. Uh, I think it's clear. Uh, <laughs> I think I would be doing something in computer science. Uh, mm-hmm whether it's some programming, like dealing with databases or, or, or networks. And then I remember back in college, I actually tried to switch to computer science uh, in my junior year. And I went to the dean and I asked him if I can switch. And back then he convinced me to stay in the math department. I wasn't convinced, but I was fine with it because I always enjoyed doing mathematics and, and I kept doing it. So I think I would be doing something with computers. Mm-hmm. Uh, even though today everyone's doing something with computers. Yeah. If uh, if money was no object at all, what would be like your, your favorite thing to do with computers? I think I will be experimenting with creating websites. Uh-huh. I think I will, uh, I will be, I'll be trying to see how can I push websites to be some sort of intelligent, hmm. not in a privacy issue ways where we can collect data, users' <laughs> data, but in a way that really helps users get information without... A, being aware of what's happening in the background. Mm-hmm. But something helpful, yeah, like not just to sell to them, but because something that you might actually be able to help or provide for them. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. When you're just surfing around on websites, are there any kind of pet peeves that you have about bad website design? Uh, where do we start? Um, <laughs> <laughs> usually the ads that loads uh, a second ago and you click on them by mistake. Oh, yeah. Uh, and... Uh, multi-page articles where you have to click on the next page to really mm-hmm. get the full the full article. Oh, yeah. For a few years now, I have refused to read the listicles, like the list-based articles where yep. they put a yep. different entry on each page. I have just actually yep. boycotted those for quite a while now. Exactly. Because I, I absolutely stop because it, it's, a bad, it's a bad practice and I don't want to encourage them to. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> well, um, Muteb, thanks so much. Uh, congratulations on the article and uh, thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you so much, Sam, for having me. I really had a good time. for listening all the way to the end and your reward for doing so is you get the chance to win a free professional development curriculum for secondary teachers. As you know, if you listen to episode 1711 with Beth Herbalizeman and Michelle Cirillo, we, along with Mike Steele and Kate Johnson and a whole team of grad students and teachers, wrote a PD curriculum focused on classroom discussions and teacher discourse moves. This PD is called MDISC, which stands for Mathematics Discourse in Secondary Classrooms, and it is now available from Math Solutions, and it's coming soon to Amazon. As listeners of the MathEd podcast, you have the chance to win a free copy of the entire MDISC package, which includes a facilitator's guide, digital participant materials, and video cases. There's even action research support if that's of interest to you. 
So, to enter the drawing for a free copy of MDISC, just send an email to ottensa at missouri.edu with MDISC in the subject line. I can accept entries until about mid-February, and let me say that it makes for a great Valentine's Day gift. So send your giveaway entry to ottensa at missouri.edu, O-T-T-E-N-S-A at missouri.edu, and put MDISC in the subject line.